This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jack Ford. The classic 1959 film, Some Like It Hot, is back, this time as a Broadway musical. The new version, which critics call a jubilant, crowd-pleasing musical comedy, takes the story of two Prohibition-era musicians on the run from the mob who pose as women in an all-female traveling band. But it adds fabulous singing and dancing and some much more modern twists. Here's a preview. I hope you like your Broadway hot! We can't stay here. Chicago's too hot. You're right. Search every band, every dance hall from here to Timbuktu. And when a saxophone starts a well I pray someone lends a hand before he breaks my aching heart in two. Somebody get hot and that ain't bad. And we are delighted to have with us in our conversation tonight the three stars of the show, part of a constellation of talent on that stage. Christian Borrell, Jay Harrison G., and Adriana Hicks. Welcome to all of you. So delighted to have you joining us here. I want to start this conversation with a compliment. Probably not a bad way to start conversations, maybe especially with performers. The compliment is this. My wife and I saw the show a few weeks ago, and, and we are Broadway theater goers. We walked out and said to each other, one of the most enjoyable theater experiences we've ever had. So I thought that's a good way to start our conversation here. With that out there, and Christian, let me ask you the first question, if I can. Mention the introduction, iconic film, Some Like It Hot. In, in, in most surveys I've ever seen, in the very top of the list of the greatest comedy films ever. So. When you were first approached about this project, taking an iconic film and then bringing it to the Broadway stage and adding music and dancing and some twists, as I mentioned, what was your first reaction to it? <laughs> well, I, I think it was indeed AFI's number one comedy of all yeah. time. So yeah. no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I think that the main um, challenge and kind of thrill of even attempting to do it is to take the comedy that, you know, a lot of the material to our modern ear is a little dated a little mm -hmm. some of it is to be frank a little problematic mm -hmm. and to thrust it into a modern context and that seemed like a challenge worth going on with casey nicola who is famous for creating some of the most famously hilarious musicals of all time book of mormon spam a lot something rotten um and so i felt like we were in good hands and the material has great comedic bones as well and it was just really exciting to work with Jay and Adrienne on something fresh and new. Jay, uh, we, we talked about new twists and, and certainly your character. When you look at your character and Jerry and Daphne, 
um, epitomizes that. So talk a little bit from, from your perspective, again, about taking something that is a classic. As Christian said, it, some parts of it are dated and some are, are parts of it are troubling. And then making the changes, especially that your character makes in the show. It was quite a, a smooth process, I believe, for me, at least, in the sense of there was a lot of trust built in the room of creating and working with Casey Nicola and Matthew Lopez and Amber Ruffin um, and getting the collaborative effort to bring this old uh, material forward. And it was wonderful to be able to trust each other, to come into the room, to create and to bring ourselves to the work. So it was awesome to authentically walk into the room, be myself, and have that infused into the work. Adriana, your role, if I, and I suspect a lot of our viewers are familiar with some Like It Hot, but if not, uh, your role is, is sort of parallel to an iconic Marilyn Monroe role. Yeah. Well, but once again, very different. And, and, and similar to, to Jay's, talk about how your character and what you have done and what everybody else involved in the production has done to make those changes and to make it through a more modern lens. Yeah, it was really wonderful to have um, our director, Casey, and to have Matthew talk to me and say, first of all, Adriana, we don't want you to be Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. We want you to be you. And that was honestly the launching pad for me to be able to develop a new take on Sugar because you have a now this beautiful character who is set in the 1930s but she's a black woman now so wait a minute the stakes are different you know things shift there and it was such an honor to be able to still glean from Marilyn and to kind of see our similarities but also glean from other women as well too like Judy Garland and um, Josephine Baker and Lena Horne and I mean the list was endless for me so um, that process was truly a blessing because <laughs> I mean, thinking about trying to fill the shoes of Marilyn Monroe, there's there's no way that I could have done that. But to be able to take this character and make it my own and to find the similarities between the two um, was really, really helpful for me. You know, it's interesting. Again, I, I think this is a compliment to all of you is that I had seen the film before, uh, probably a couple of times and very familiar with it. Um, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, Marilyn Monroe, you're essentially the ones who had, had the roles that you're doing now or similar roles. Almost from the beginning, I wasn't seeing any of you as them. You know, I, I wasn't saying, oh, yeah, you know, here, here's here's Christian doing Tony. It, it, what's, what's, it, it wasn't. And I, I think that's, uh, Adriana, you said probably what you wanted. Here's a quick question. Have, have any of you actually seen the movie before? Christian? Yes? All of you have? Yeah. All right. I, I, I was wondering, did you watch it to prepare for this or had you just seen it in the past? I watched it to prepare for it. Um, I've been with the project for me since 2019, and I had never seen the movie. Um, so before agreeing to do the reading at the time, I watched the movie as research. And as Christian said before, definitely things that were problematic and needed to change. But I was excited to see what work was going to be done. So uh, it was wonderful to see that classic be what it was. And then the journey we've taken from me joining then uh, to where it is today. Let me talk a little about it, the energy on the stage, because I think that's one of the, the first things that grabs you. Um, I, the, the dancing is, it's breathtaking, especially the tap dancing. There's an awful lot of that going on here. You know, I was a college football player, so I know a little bit about training, but I'm looking at all of you on the stage thinking, 
wow, what kind of training do you have to do to do this and to do it every, you know, we played football games once a week. You're doing this every night and twice on a couple of days. Christian, talk yeah. about that. You know, it's really, uh, it helps to have decades of experience so that your body is used to that schedule. Um, and, you know, we as uh, theater performers aim for eight o'clock at night. So our entire day is geared toward our body being prepared at that hour. And Jay and I always laugh, you know, we have our moments right before the show where we get to check in with each other. And one of our mantras is one foot in front of the other because the show is such a train ride, literally and figuratively, um, that all you have to do is begin. And we have this, um, our hardest number, at least I'll speak for myself, is um, can't have me if you don't have him, which is our big tap duo that we do mm -hmm. to try to like, get a job at the Cheetah Club. Mm -hmm. And it just is the greatest launch in the world. Everything after that is like dessert. So like we finish literally like in the cliche, like, hey, oh, hey. <laughs> and then once you catch your breath, you just kind of go along for the rest of the ride. That's yeah. good exercise. <laughs> One foot after another is a pretty good mantra for pretty much anything you want to do in your life. I That's think exactly we, right. we can adapt that. Adrian, I saw you saying one time that you it's the, for you being in this is like a, a kid playing in a sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> How do you mean? How do you mean? <laughs> It is because I'm working with um, adult kids almost, you know, I love, I love being around Casey Nicola um, so much because he helped me to tap into my inner child um, and just his freedom and his expression with building something was one of the best experiences of my life. That's why I'd say it's like that because he, <laughs> he reminds me of being like a dad where he was like, you know, he looks after me and just like shelter and, and, um, providing guidance um, in the most beautiful way, as well as we would talk about things like, oh, do you love Disney World? I love Disney World. Do you like, <laughs> like, what are the fun things that you like to do? So that uh, youthful energy um, that we all somewhat bring to the stage is what I mean by that. Mm. I, I talked about from the very beginning how this is just, you know, Broadway musical theater at its very best. Uh, but with a focus on on things that are important today, if if and I, I jotted down some notes after I saw it in, in terms of themes. And again, look, I, I want people to understand you're going to have fun if you come to this show, but you're going to think about some things afterwards. And and a couple of things I wrote down. And and, and Jay, let me ask you this: I, I I said I said freedom, authenticity, journey. Does that work? You think? Oh yeah, for sure. Um... This is uh, a, a story of adventure, of, of finding freedom, of finding authenticity. Um, these people are, are on, on separate journeys, but they find themselves in such beautiful ways. Um, and we can learn that in life to allow circumstances to break us free of our own limits, labels, and boundaries. Um, and you can find a fuller, more deeper version of the human being that's possible. So, yeah. That's beautiful. And it's, it, 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 it's certainly a, a, a wonderful way to put all of this. Um, it, I, I know your performance and I know you do this for a living and you're all veterans. You've had all had great success in, in all areas of your performances. It looks it looks to us like you're really having fun, too. Again, it's a lot of work. <laughs> and I would suspect that maybe not every production that you've been in in your lives has been always fun uh, you know, to some extent. It, it, it's this fun? 
Adrian, I'm going to come back to you. I'll, I'll come back to you, Adrian, because you talked about in a in a kid in a sandbox. But mm. again, this is it's a lot of work. You know, people who don't who don't see behind the stage don't realize how much work this is. But it, does this remain for you, night in, night out, afternoon after night, uh, out, uh, a fun performance? It does, um, because it's a comedy. It's a classic musical theater comedy that um, leaves people feeling better about living and uh i mean it helps to work with some of my amazing co-stars who you know they make me laugh every single day and we we all come together and and that's our way of tapping in to make sure that we're all one that we know what we're going to do and the work is the work um we understand what this business takes and and um it's lovely to have a group of people that understand that but also are adults about that while being kids you know <laughs> while giving space to um create like we used to do when we were younger yep i'm gonna I, we could talk for hours about this unfortunately we have the, the the tyranny of time involved here and stuff so christian i'm gonna give you the last question if i can um what are you all, and I'll let you speak for everybody, but what are you hopeful that when people walk out of this theater, out of the Schubert Theater, what, what are you hopeful that they're going to take with them from this show? One of the great things about doing musical comedy is that you make a contract with the audience. Like you walk in, you're going to hear great music, you're going to hear incredible voices, and you're going to see some fantastic dancing. But just what is such a relief after the two year hiccup that we had of not being able to work on stage is to see people collectively laughing is healing. So you have that aspect of it and the laughs build and build and build over the course of the show as they get to know these characters, as they get to care about these characters and these performers. And so you have this almost like living beast that is laughing so hard that they look at each other and say, I can't believe, and to, I'm, I, I don't mean to be immodest about it. We, we mm -hmm. have structured it that way, you know, so that the, the laughs build, but then there's this, I think, lovely sucker punch of message and humanity mm -hmm. behind the story that leaves people, I think their, their right. worlds are kind of turned upside down by the, the humanity of it all. New York City is home to a number of museums celebrating our rich artistic and cultural history. But until now, there has never been a permanent museum solely dedicated to honoring what is perhaps New York's greatest artistic contribution, the plays and musicals of Broadway. Well, after years of preparation, we can finally say that is no longer the case because the brand new Museum of Broadway is officially open. Located in the heart of Manhattan's theater district, the 26,000-square-foot museum covers hundreds of years of Broadway's history and showcases props and costumes and other memorabilia from countless Broadway shows. The museum, created in partnership with artists and designers from the theater community itself, also features several permanent exhibits, including one dedicated to the behind-the-scenes crews that are so essential to putting together the shows that we all love and we are thrilled now to be joined to talk more about the broadway museum with the museum's co-founders diane nicoletti and julie boardman welcome to both of you thanks so much for joining us thanks for so much for having us so the first question is this and i'll I'll come to you first julie and then diane you jump in and, and that is as most first questions are um why the museum and why now 
Really, really great question. Um, yeah, there's never been a museum dedicated to Broadway and the history of Broadway is so rich and is, you know, the theater in New York has been around since the 1700s. So it's kind of mind blowing that it didn't exist before. We feel really fortunate and and um, are very grateful to be the ones who are making it happen. And, you know, we found this incredible space in the middle of Times Square um, where we can celebrate Broadway and its history. So. Yeah, Diana. Uh, same question to you. And I, I'm I'm always fascinated by the genesis of, of an idea, how it springs out, where it where it comes from, when people say, "Hey, that's a good idea." And how about for the two of you? Do you remember when you said, "Whoa, whoa, that's something we should be doing." Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was it was all Julie's idea. It was from a conversation that she had with a friend and we have been friends for over 20 years. And she was like, why is there not a museum of Broadway? We were just talking about that the other day. And I just paused for a minute. I was like, you're right. There isn't one. How does one not exist? And then we started just brainstorming on if we were to create one, what we would do and how we would go about it. And then that was sort of the impetus for the idea. And then, you know, five years later, here we are. We talk about five years later, but of course, there was a chunk of time in the midst of that five years where where everything was was thrust into disarray mm -hmm. in our lives. And I suspect also the development of the, the museum. Tell us about that and, and, and the impact that COVID had on getting this up and running. Julie? Yeah, we so as Diane said, about five years ago, started kind of brainstorming and whiteboarding the concept and you know what was a story we wanted to tell and figuring out kind of how it would work and um and so we were working on all of that and then starting to you know fundraise to put it all together um and then covid happened um it you know was hard at first because we were looking for a space and you couldn't actually go to see spaces like yeah. everything was closed um it gave us some time to really continue to like hone and work on, you know, the timelines with Ben West, who's our, you know, timeline curator and resident historian and, you know, uh, the design. And we worked a lot um, over Zoom, luckily, during that time. And then as soon as we could, we got out and started looking at spaces. And actually, the space that we're in, um, it used to be an Irish bar that unfortunately didn't make it through COVID. They had to shut their doors. Um, and I guess when one door closes, another opens. And we were really fortunate to find the space. Um, it, As you said, it's 26,000 square feet. It's right off of Times Square on 45th Street. We're next door to the oldest continuously operating theater, um, which is a really nice place to be. So a bit of a silver lining, if you will, from, from COVID that we were able to find the space, secure it, sign the lease and get going. How important was it, Diane, I'll ask you this, how important was it, or was it essential in the beginning for this space to be located in the midst of the heart of Broadway, the heart of theater, if you would? Oh, I mean, it was extremely important. Um, it was one of the greatest challenges, too, because we were limited, obviously, into this sort of geographic space, which we felt was very important to be there. Um, and so it took a little longer. We had to get creative because there weren't as many spaces that had the square footage that we needed. Um, and also the layout, because we did have the concept prior to 
finding the actual space, which was important. Well, let me talk about and I mentioned this in the beginning. I, I want to give our viewers a sense of of some of what's there, right? just to, to draw them in and quite literally get them there, as a matter of fact. But and I mentioned the introduction. There, there are a number of permanent exhibits, and then there'll be other exhibits that are coming in. Um, the the uh, different types of permanent exhibits. I mentioned one in the very beginning, which is how how does a production get made? You know, we, we all see what's on the stage, but as you know, and, and you've both been involved in this, there are years of work that goes involved before it finally becomes that. Why, Julie? Why then was it so important, do you think, to say, we need a permanent exhibit that says, this is how this thing gets made? Yeah, one of the the things as we were brainstorming again, what, what it could be in the story, um, it was also what we wished existed when we were little and coming to New York. Um, I grew up a huge fan of, of Broadway. I started performing when I was five. We came to New York to see my first Broadway show when I was 10. Um, you know, so I've been a fan um, for a very long time and had something like this existed when I first came to New York. You know, maybe the trajectory of my you know, maybe my path would have been a little bit different. Um, I was performing and it took me a long time to learn about all the rules backstage and what, you know, I'm on the producing end for Broadway, but I didn't even know that was a thing when I was growing up. Um, I just thought you had to be the actor. So this room, you know, uh, David Rockwell has designed the, the room and it's meant to show you kind of all these different, you know, jobs that exist in Broadway that you may not have known. Um, like you said, you sit in the audience and you see the final product, but you don't know the seven, 10 years sometimes that it takes to develop a show to get it to Broadway and kind of all the stages. So we wanted to like um, kind of go behind the scenes and, and show a bit of that um, magic and hopefully expose people to something they didn't know about Broadway. And, and Diane, tell me a couple of the other, give me a quick glimpse of some of the other permanent exhibits that are there. Sure. Um, well, we took the timeline of Broadway. And so each of the different shows that are highlighted on the exhibit or with the exhibits um, are like Phantom of the Opera, where we have a crystal chandelier installation made of close to 14,000, the number of performances that uh, Phantom of the Opera has run or will run once it eventually closes in the spring, um, made out of crystals. So if you look at it one way, you know, you see this lovely crystal installation, but then if you turn just right, you actually see the mask come through. So it's original artwork that pays homage to Phantom of the Opera. Um, we have, you go through like the cornfields in Oklahoma, you get to experience um, cool and America recreated by uh, dancers and the choreography for West Side Story. So each room has its own little unique experience that really sort of brings it to life in addition to seeing photos and artifacts and costumes as well. So it it really immerses you into these different exhibits and, and shows. Let me ask you about that. You mentioned photos and artifacts and costumes, and I had seen more than a thousand of them are incorporated into the museum. And, and the first question I had is, where did they come from? I mean, where did you, Julie, where did you find them all? Um, yeah, we have an incredible team of curators that we were working with and a lot um, came from just relationships. Um, the people who 
are part of the museum or part of the Broadway community. Um, and so it's just conversations and kind of uncovering what still exists. Not everything was kept from the past. So um, there are a couple um, key places we worked with, like Goodspeed Opera House. They have a really wonderful collection of costumes, the TDF costume collection. Um, the Public Theater has done an incredible job of keeping like the entire basically like from a chorus line when it closed they put away um one of every costume from the lines you know and they have we uncovered these incredible costumes that they have we have Meryl Streep's costume from when she made her Broadway debut we have something that Kevin Klein and Estelle Parsons and these people wore on stage that it, it's just really wonderful for people to get to see up close um, and that you get to see, um, you know, the hand beating that goes into making these costumes. It's really incredible. Our team of curators has done an extraordinary job of, of bringing it all together. And some just happened. I was walking down the street and I ran into my friend who's the producer of Hadestown and Andre DeShields was just leaving. And so I was like, hey, could we, <laughs> could we have his costume to put on display? And she's like, sure. So, you know, some happen kind of organically like that as well. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys have favorites? Diane, I'll ask you first of, of, of the, the, the exhibits, the things, the artifacts. Do you have some, and maybe this is like asking a, a, a mother, do you have a favorite child <laughs> um, to some extent, but I'm still going to ask you, do you have some favorites in the collection? some that have really interesting stories behind them so there's like a part of that that makes it extra interesting um Siegfeld Follies Disney um we have these on loan where they're from like the early 1900s so just it's so impressive that they were preserved and they still exist because there's many costumes anymore that that don't so it's it's great that we have original Siegfeld Follies costumes that we have on display that are just beautiful and that's probably one of my favorites yeah yeah, yeah. real quick uh, julie do you have a favorite yeah well i was gonna say something cool about those follies costumes um that someone said to us when they went through was when you think of the Ziegfeld Follies, you kind of think in black and white because we've always seen black and white photos but the colors are extraordinary it, it's really um they're so bright and vibrant and so it's really cool to see yeah quick um, question i, I got Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Is there a favorite? Yeah, that, yeah that's really hard. Uh, it kind of changes every day, I guess. Um, well, that's, but that's a good sign, don't you think? That mm -hmm. that when you wander through a museum, one day it's like, ah, oh, this is fabulous. And then all of a sudden you see another one and said, that's fabulous too. Isn't that what you want from us? Those are our museum wanderers to have that same reaction. Oh, absolutely. It's fun to see everyone have a different favorite too. Wow. So depending on if you're looking for something a little abstract or you're in the mood for something moody or cheerful, like there is, there's a different room and a different experience for you in terms of what oh, your favorite might be. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.